He's a rehab doctor from Chicago. She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities. Together, we're examining the health equity emergency. Inviting voices for change without the cue cards. I'm Dr. Carrie Haley. I'm Dr. Stephen Jackson. And And this this is Off the the Charts. Charts. Welcome to our show. We are very excited to have Dr. Diane Bainigo with us today. We're going to have some great conversation. Uh, Dr. Bainigo is a doctorate prepared nurse midwife. Yes. And she's a community consultant and educator. Good afternoon. Hello. Welcome to our show. Thanks for being here with us today. It's good to be here. So there's a lot of ignorance in the world. And I might be one of those ignorant folks. What is a nurse midwife? <laughs> I always say a nurse midwife can be many things to many people. Okay. Um, there's the professional um, box that people um, place them in. But um, a nurse midwife is an advanced practice nurse, generally at least master prepared. If you are a nurse midwife, you have nurse training and then you have special line training in birthing. Um, maternal child health matters. But I like to extend the sisterhood and uh, nurse midwife generally means with women. And sometimes I like to simplify it and say a baby catcher, but uh, midwives do more than (laughs) catch babies. (laughs) Like we're just in a lot of um, places and take up a lot of different spaces. So it can be different things for different people. How did you get into your field of study, your field of practice? Actually, it was Ray DeVries. If you're listening to this, come find me. Um, (laughs) But I actually was pre-med and I always wanted to deliver babies and be an OBGYN because that's how babies come, right? You go see a doctor. And I was taking a class up at St. Olaf and he was like, "Mm, you should be a midwife. I'm like, a midwife, huh? Not going to anybody's house. You know, I just kind of like shoo-shooed it. And so then he started telling me a little bit more about it. So then I dropped out of the pre-med program, switched over to nursing and explored it a little bit more because I didn't want to have to have a nanny to take care of my kids. Parenting was really important to me. Mm-hmm. And all the shows that I watched, you know, doctors had to have nannies. And so I, I switched from pre-med to go into midwifery because I thought I was going to have like work balance. Wrong. <laughs> but to go on beyond that to describe as, what's your typical day what it what does it again kind of maybe speaking from a place of ignorance for sure what 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 is your day like where where do you practice who's your population that you see so i would say my my work is probably different now in 2022 than what it was when i was in full-fledged full-scope practice meaning you're doing clinical care you're doing birthing um so now i practice more um from a community perspective and so i do a lot of listening to women i still do some telehealth i'm just took a per diem position at a birth center and so i like to practice in out of hospital even though i grew up in the hospital i always say this was the first place regions where i caught babies back in 2000 and six, all the way actively full-fledged, full-scope into 2012, and then left and ventured out into the out-of-house, put her um, birth experience. But so it depends for different folks. Because I do a lot of community engagement work, um, my position now is a little bit different than, you know, traditional go into clinic, see patients, never sleep, catch a baby, go home, never see your family, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 
little Sounds bit different like a now. Lot of fun. It, I mean, it, the it no is sleep part, you know. I, I love my bed, right? And so <laughs> <laughs> I always say I, I, I've retired um, that part of my life, but actually, I'm not. I'm getting back into it slowly. That's cool. So I hear you say community consultant. Tell, tell us a little bit more about what that is. I always say that. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And mm-hmm. so um, I was part of a small group of midwives that started the midwifery practice over at North Memorial some moons back. And I remember when that practice resolved, I remember thinking that I need to go back to school so that I can get the alphabet suit behind my name to be invited into spaces where these inequities happen. Because you have to have all of that behind your name to actually get the invitation. Whether they listen, that's a different conversation for a different day. But at least get the invitation because I saw a lot of profiling going on with um, the women that I was serving. And so I decided to go back to school. And that's when I decided decided to start listening with a different set of ears to what Mm -hmm. women were really saying and finding out how the cycle was being perpetuated. And if I was not a part of the solution, then I was a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to do things different. And that's kind of where my focus shifts from the brick and mortar, the bed sign to, Mm -hmm. to the community. That's awesome. And you kind of spoke a little mm-hmm. bit here or mentioned the disparities. Can you highlight some of the disparities that are out there or that you've observed or that your practice has kind of focused on? Um, I often say thanks to social media, now people know what's been going on since the beginning of time. I mean, we're not going to get biblical here, but um, certain babies were <laughs> were put upstream and certain babies got to stay. And so I don't think that the numbers have changed drastically. This is true. Go ahead. <laughs> I, mean, it, it, I mean, so I don't know when we talk about disparities and I was just Googling on the way over, like, when did this happen? Granted, like I came onto the set um, in the early 2000s and, you know, no one talked about it, but when I'm doing the research, they were always there. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about black and brown people, our, our um, women particularly, which is, our, they're my soft spot. You know, we're, three to four times more likely to have a bad outcome or not make it out the the birthing suite. Black babies are born too small too early. We know that everybody's seeing it now. Everybody's putting it on wherever they can put it to get attention and get funding. But what we're not talking about are the disparities of the lived experience of birthing Mm. and, and being pregnant while black. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to mm-hmm. I like to give voice to the narrative. And when I'm in these different spaces as a community midwife to echo and amplify the things that they talk to me about in private, even though it's not private, but outside of the the, the clinic um, setting of birth and suites and to be a disruptor, if you will, your perception of what it's like to be a, a black or brown birthing person, particularly most folks identify as women that I work with mm-hmm. um, in these settings. So let's let's get let's talk about it. Yeah, I, I love it. And I mean, you've said a lot. I mean, I have so many questions, so I just have to kind of slow my brain down here. And we're kind of getting into inequities. And you said, I quote, you know, you're listening with a different set of ears. I want to know what are you hearing from the community and the people you serve? What are you hearing? I hear different things in different spaces. But I I think the thing that hurts me the most when I listen is that if we're talking about the general population, right? They're often unaware, let's just say five years back, not now with all social media, that what they're experiencing is not norm. Mm, mm -hmm. So I started a program at the Minnesota Community Care, which is a partner here. They birthed downstairs, the Diva Moms program. And I found that I had to convince the women that I was serving 
that you fall into this this certain group, you know, this is what's happening to your people. And so we have been brainwashed, if you will, and been conditioned to expect or accept certain behaviors as normal and not the exception. And so I find that that's been some of the most challenging work to hear it and to know that since I was silent for so long, you know, being a new provider, all these different things that I continue to allow these kind of micro and microaggressions to happen by not speaking up, by not advocating, by not being a disruptor to the lived experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's hard because you're hearing it from the lived experience as being able to identify as also a black woman as a provider, like you wear these different hats as a mother, you know, as an educator. So like, sure, sure. Uh, you know, we've missed the mark. Right. And so how do we, how do we pause and pivot and, and, and do something different, even if it's unconventional and you can't, you know, you can't get rich off it. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly yeah. like, that's heartbreaking to kind of hear that, that people weren't even aware of the inequities that were being placed upon them because they were so used to to it or it was just deemed appropriate in normal care. That's heartbreaking to hear. Mm-hmm. What kind of strategies have you done to bring this knowledge into the community or fight for the community and be their advocate? I mean, I think knowledge is power. Um, and when we all do better, we all do better. And I often like to remind mm-hmm. them that, but it's not even about the experience. It's about the isms. You can put whatever you want. <laughs> In front of it. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. The isms, right? And how that determines, I mean, your, the trajectory of how you're going to come. And being a wife and in communities of West African populations, you know, knowing that it's not the same for the skin. It's not about the skin. It's about the isms. And so just breaking that down to, into digestible pieces that if you are unaware then you don't take up space. If you are unaware, then you don't ask the question because you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And if this is what you've been conditioned to think is normal, then why? Now I'm tripping (laughs) because I'm (laughs) I'm telling you the real. I'm telling you what they say when I'm in these white spaces. I've I've always predominantly been the one and only in X, Y, and Z. You know, (laughs) you know, so- Let me raise my hand real quick. (laughs) Yeah, when it, oh, them- I, no, I am the them. I'm telling you what they're saying. Right. And they forget I'm there, right? Because I'm also invisible. I've had providers within certain systems, right? Have we met before? Yeah. How many black midwives did you have working on your... Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> have we met before, but I've sat alongside in meetings. <laughs> That's wow. how, even as the provider. So if I'm that invisible... Right. I can only empathize with the invisibility that our patients feel in some of these spaces that in Minnesota, progressive Minnesota, liberal Minnesota. Right. I can only imagine how how people feel. And now I don't have to imagine I get to I get to hear it from them, you know, because I work in those spaces where we're listening, Mm -hmm. providing opportunities for women to speak up and be be unapologetic about what they're experiencing. You know, I'm hearing uh, a lot of uh, systemic components to what you're saying. You know, uh, we can call it systemic racism. We can call it systemic fill in the blank ism. <laughs> um, yes. But it's it's something systemic because even taking it outside of the context of, you know, black maternal health and black infant health. I mean, something as simple as, you know, somebody coming to my door and I answer it. And whoever the service provider is, whether it's a cable company or a landscaping company, you know, that initial two seconds of, oh, I didn't expect you to open the door. 
that kind of thing. And I, and I yes. tell my wife often, we have to somehow change what is normal. You mm-hmm. know, I want to share a quick, real, real quick story. I, <laughs> I think it's still in context. Mm-hmm. We were on a plane and I can't remember where we were on the way to. It wasn't that long ago. And, you know, I mean, well, I, I, I flew first class. Sorry, listeners. I hope you don't have a problem with that anyway. Um, and so there was a gentleman. He was uh, one of the flight attendants. And, you know, he was greeting all of the like the first class folks like, hey, how you doing, ma'am and sir? That I welcome. Welcome. Good to see you. Good to see you. He gets to me and my family. He says, did you win the lottery? Oh, wow. Oh, boy. Now, <laughs> oh, boy. he was, quote unquote, joking. Mm-hmm. But that was his response to me. Now, we were the only black family in first class and um, everybody else got. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being here. Da, da, da. And then he said, uh, wow, you must have won the lottery, man. Good, good job, brother. <laughs> I'm just playing. And and the look my wife had on her face, and I just said, just chill, it's all good. He said, no, I'm just joking. And even if it was a joke, it still goes back to how we, we've all been conditioned to some degree to fall into the quote unquote normal. And we have to change the narrative. We have to change what's normal because, uh, yeah, stuff like that, you know. And okay. it's, it's really, I mean, you saying it and we'll try to pivot back this way, but I facilitate a, um, a praise and positivity weekly through um, one of my consultant practices. And we were just talking about that. I remember when they were having issues on the airlines about who can be a doctor. And so yeah. I remember like someone needed help and it couldn't be you, right? Because you are the help. How can you, how can oh. you help? And so I remember Snap. my <laughs> husband was trying to encourage me to go back to school to get my doctorates after um, our midwifery practice at North Memorial had resolved. And I remember just thinking to myself, you know what? I need to go back so that other little girls can know that you can be heavyset black with dreads. Like I show up in in usually a cut up t-shirt and some kicks and <laughs> be a doctor, right? So yeah. I'm investing in myself enough to go to the top, you know, of whatever field I'm going into. Not, I'm not a, not and OB because of double negative, yes, because I couldn't hack it. I was in the pre-med program, but mm-hmm. because I wanted to challenge and I didn't want to be a part of the good old boys club. And I wanted to give people um, a reflection of what you could be because no one was that for me. And so That's awesome. how many times have I been told, <laughs> can you get the nurse? This was before I went back to be the provider, before I went back to be the, the doctorate midwife, right? Mm-hmm. Can you get the nurse? Do you want my tray? What do I want with your tray? I know I look like I like to eat, but <laughs> so don't offer me your tray, right? You know, because they thought I was the, you know, the aid. No, I'm a four-year prepared nurse, not even, and it. there's nothing wrong with being an LPN or RN, right? But I couldn't be who I was because of what you thought. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's deep. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm just wow. really honestly just absorbing all of that because I think that for people who don't know others who've experienced that in their life, this is something that probably just like you don't even know what to say sometimes because if you have zero context of that in your bubble, your box, whatever mm-hmm. you want to put it as. And I think that you speaking, especially speaking for community of women who may not feel like they have a voice is so important and so admirable. Have you gotten feedback from the community and any changes that they've observed or any, let's go for positive things that maybe they've seen in the last few years because their voices are maybe being heard a little bit better? 
I would say a, a, a good example. I came from a meeting this morning and I would say um, there are some systems that talk about it and there are some systems that are about it, right? And I would have to say um, I have a soft spot for the HPPN, Health Partner Park Nicholas system, because you guys are actually stepping out right in the water mm. and in trying to make a difference and not just talk about it or put it in your policies. And so um, the work that I've been doing for this organization recently as a community consultant um, was a part of the Black pregnancy and post-birth journey through the Heart of the Customer project that we're working on within the system. And we just mm. had our, our reveal of all of the months of listening and one-on-one interviews and community circles that I've been facilitating with my partner, Sienna Cullens, through Ignited Power Forum and iPad. Go out, pal. Anyhow. <laughs> um, and so one of the things um, that the women said is that they like being in community, right? They like having their feelings validated. And a lot of people use the word empower. We can't empower people. We already possess it. But we give them permission to execute the power that they possess. And oh, you're so, okay, okay. And so that's what we like <laughs> to do in those spaces. And when we, you know, part of the customer was a little uncomfortable about, you know, changing their their strategy to elicit these women's lived experiences. But I, I appreciate that they were willing to trust me and my partner as community experts to say, no, I'm, I work with. This is what I do. I. I this is not, you know, my job. This is who I am. Listen, and so they were allowed us to do these community circles and and. When we shared back how how the women felt revived to have a space, a safe space with folks that look like them that, you know, can code switch if we need to, to let them just release, <laughs> release. And so because it was so therapeutic, cathartic almost, if you will, for the women, now we're doing a pilot starting July. 12 for black and brown pregnant and post-birth people to host community circles for them. And the project is almost over. And so they listen. And so hopefully they'll find funding because they want, they want to see this thing through, you know, you've trained the staff, but how do you continue to hold folks accountable if you're not continuing to listen? Even if they're saying the same thing that they said 50 years ago, right? But it's not not what your mama did. It's what you're doing now. So mm-hmm. if they're still saying the same thing, then you still have opportunity to get it right. So I would say just to echo that some people are really trying to do something differently, even if they don't know what that is. And we don't even know what that is, but we're creating a space that we can customize to be what the women need while they're in it. Well, is there anything that you can tell our listeners, like if there are uh, again, uh, black and brown. Uh, I'm going to mess it up. Pregnant and post. Pregnant and post birth <laughs> people. Yeah, yeah. Say that fast three times. Yeah, tongue um, twister. If they are interested in the pilot, is is there any kind of general information that's a, that's available for folks to be involved? Or? Yeah, ask your clinic. I mean, if you continue to ask for us, then they'll make sure that we're available. Um, but I know they just um, created the flyer. So there's a QR code that they can just scan and and sign up and kind of get plugged in. We're going to offer uh, um, the second Tuesday from 1130 to one, a, a circle for the women that, you know, don't have to work mm-hmm. <laughs> or can't work, right? Whatever. Um, and then we'll host uh, a circle on the third Tuesday of the month from 630 to 8 for the people that need to come in the evening. And just to kind of have some real conversation in that space. I'm not the doctor midwife, right? So I won't wear my medical hat necessarily, but I can't allow people to continue to go down the wrong way. So I will make sure that I give, you know, set some boundaries to make sure that we're, to, we're not talking down and not we're getting yeah. it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for women to just kind of come and be in community because there's so much learning. 
we have been told that we don't know anything. We have to come in and, and get all the answers from the provider because you know all be all, but it's supposed to be a partnership. And so what we want to do is to have mm-hmm. women love on women, right? And to encourage each other to to just kind of look within to to be a part of the solution. Because they say everything you need is already in the house. So how do we collectively um, lock arms? You know, mm-hmm. that's what we do in IPAL. When women lock arms, things change. How do we lock arms and support each other so that we can continue to journey on? Well, I agree with you that, you know, uh, the HPPN family, they're about it, not just talking about it. And I like the fact that, you know, as a, as a fellow care provider, I, I too have been given an opportunity uh, to take the message to the community, uh, not only by way of this podcast, but different, you know, buckets of work that I'm involved in. And, you know, I, I think about uh, our mission and our values and our, our vision, and our values I always think about epic because that's the mm. that's the way I can remember it. But you know, excellence, partnership, mm. integrity, and compassion. I think about partnership, which you just said. You know, prime example of how it's not just a plaque in an executive conference room, but you're just another manifestation of how we're living our values and taking it to the people that need it. And so. Just really appreciate that. Yeah. And to continue to make space for people of the community, right, to broker that conversation, especially Mm -hmm. when you're, I mean, there's so many intersectionalities, right? You know, we wear so many different hats, but to value community with lived experience and, you know, Alphabet Super credentials to actually broker that conversation and not to try to take it from them and then put your brand on it, right? (laughs) That's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're good at that systems. Um, But how do we continue to build authentic, you know, relationships? Compassion is something um, that a lot of health systems miss. And so even in this listening, um, it was a year, like some people were pregnant when we started the project. Now the babies are six months. So we've been with with these women. (laughs) It's been a while. And so just to listen. And so it's not it. Some of the things that they bring into the systems when they show show up are baggage that they carry from other systems. But if we're the only ones trying to be great, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, the thing that I often challenge when I'm in systems um, and invited to meetings that you have no ownership over these people. Granted, you got to keep your doors open, right? We get that. But if they can be better served by someone else that's doing it better, then don't you want them to be better served? Because when we all do better, Mm -hmm. we all do better. And so to continue to have those conversations about ownership and partnership and compassion, what does that really look like? How are you held accountable on your your compassion? And until it's attached to dollars, we ain't going to see the changes that we need to see. But it can't just be in healthcare. Healthcare can't be the only ones. We need to talk about redlining, housing, employment, yes, you know, education, higher education mm-hmm. the training, right? Yes. Because if yes. we are conditioned and we perpetuate the, the isms, the bias known and unknown into how we practice care. And so a lot of times we this came up at the meeting today. A lot of times when you do see someone that look black or brown or of color, right, then you're disappointed because they're just like, no offense, you know, they just like some of the other people. I call them mainstream. You know, they're they, they're like mainstream. Right. And so you're pissed off now because you expected more. But why? When they've been conditioned and trained to do and perpetuate the other isms. And so. Then we're double damned, right? <laughs> because because we can't win for losing because now we're not part of the community. Now we're part of the system. Why can't we make space for us to be both? Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's really powerful. And just wow. it, that partnership, that feeling of just that human 
to human Mm -hmm. connection. And I think the work that you're doing is so important. And I'm so glad that, you know, the HP Park Nicollet people are playing or, you know, being a part of this and investing in it because Mm -hmm. it's hard enough to be a mom. It's hard enough to be pregnant it's hard enough to not have any of the isms or only a few of the isms and go through that, let alone be part of all of the isms mm-hmm. and, and go through it. I mean, and COVID has done damage, but it also has done a lot of good. Like more people are listening to podcasts. I did one with um, Dr. Paul Batal and just about the partnership, co-partnership, just uh, what does that really look like? And so to know that people want to hear and want to do something different and just to have the freedom to kind of co-create. I think that is so important. And a lot of times we don't, we just don't do that or we don't have time or right. We can't, we can't put um, RVUs on that. So we can't, we just can't. Right. (laughs) So, you know, time is money. And so how do we really just um, give systems permission to 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 do over to do better, um, and so I think when we have these different you know things like this, it's so important to keep people midwives in particular. We need to be in all spaces because our job is to be with women to have people in those spaces and that continuously listen, continuously mm-hmm. listen. Mm-hmm. Not don't have a listening and a strategic meeting and have these plans and then okay I consulted with you and now Diane you're gone. Right, Dr. B, what are they saying now? Are we doing better? And so I think the co-creation of of what medical care um, could be and what, I mean, what it could be, we need to continue to have ears to hear. Have you had any um, aha moments or quote unquote success stories, uh, particularly in situations where maybe some of your, some of your clients, maybe they didn't trust healthcare, maybe they didn't trust you. Because of bad experiences in the past, and now they're thriving. Anything that comes to mind? There is a one particular patient I say when we started out, Diva, I got fired. Like me. (laughs) Who fires Dr. B, right? Like, for real? Anyhow, she fired me because one of the things that I I tell you is that um, if I see something, I'm going to say something. And I believe that families do well when all or both parents are are participating. And this particular patient had a, you know, a Jerry Springer kind of situation, you know, to kind of, <laughs> and this, she's with child. And so, um, but she really wanted this, um, the father baby to be involved. And so I provided an opportunity for him to be involved, even though their relationship was um, supposed to be incognito, right? So anyhow, we, we have this conversation and um, I told her what he said. I told her the truth, right? And that was so hard for her to hear. And she fired me because she didn't expect me to do what I said I was going to do. And oh. so she was like, nothing wrong, but oh my God, she was just devastated because I actually, I followed through. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she thought when the truth came out about their situation, I was going to judge her and she didn't want to show up because she was worried about how I was going to look at her. And so then we hosted an event and then I invited um, her to come and she brought her baby. And I remember her baby and I just held her daughter and she came back and apologized. She said, Diane, I didn't realize how much you love me, that I really can show up and be who I am. Mm -hmm. And this was a judgment free zone. But when I saw how you hugged my baby girl, I knew that you loved me. And I'm like, 
know, all of that. But, you know, to know that sometimes we have to set the bar high, especially in the black community, we lower the standards because we want them to meet it. But you set the bar high and work with them to kind of get to where they're trying to go. But if you say you're going to do something, do something, follow through, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. be true to what you're going to do and know that we may not always get it right, but we have to just continue to try. But if you if you're about it and if you're compassionate, people will see that it don't matter if you're black, brown, pink, clear, trans, whatever you want to be. Right. Compassion is felt. It's not always seen. And so we need to make sure that we're checking on the people that are being disruptors, you know, racial inequity disruptors, which I kind of call myself in the class I usually teach. Check on your people that are creating spaces like this, where we're talking about the things that are uncomfortable, right? Because we're receiving it on both ends because we are living it and then we're having to work in it. So we have to be um, better allies to check on each other and say, no, sis, are you okay? Are you really? You know, I don't care if they're of color or Mm -hmm. not. You know, if you're in this space and you're trying to do this work, you may need a little extra compassion and some grace. And so I encourage us to be better stewards of of our compassion and to really check on folks, but to also um, do this work and, and give yourself some grace because it is hard work. I always say with Diva, it's hard work and hearts work at the, with a T. And sometimes we need to be checked on the ones that are doing the disrupting, the ones that are standing in the gap. And we just yes. don't do a, mm-hmm. a good job of being our brother and sister's keeper. And I think we can we can all do better. Well, you know, I, I just want to highlight uh, to our listeners, both those that identify as patients and also those that are our care providers that it is okay to love the people you serve. Uh, I, I tell people, uh, for me, the definition of compassion is to truly care about the people you care for. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes out. And like you said, it, you, you, you can't always speak compassion. Like, you know, it may not, it may not be recognizable in, in particular language or particular words, you know, but you can definitely see it in action. You can definitely feel it. Like Maya Angelou said, you know, you may forget what a person said or did, but you won't forget how they made you feel. And I think at the end of the day, when we think about building trust, you know, patients go back to the provider that they know cared for them and not only know care for them, but they felt that they were cared for. And those are the people that will they will wait to see you. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody else is available. Nope. I want to <laughs> see Dr. B because yep. she cares for me. She <laughs> loves me. And that's definitely one of the one of the central themes to to our show is building trust and letting people know that, you know, we care for you and we will care for you, you know, so yeah. that's really great. Yeah. Um, I, you've just said a lot of things that I'm going to process, um, but <laughs> I... Uh, your work that you're doing just sounds amazing. And yeah, I think it's absolutely. so great that we have somebody like yourself who has the knowledge, who has the education and is also out there in the community, talking with women, being their advocate, standing up for them and putting putting yourself kind of out there for these systems and for others to kind of be able to, hey, you got to listen. We got to we got to do this. So thank you so much for being here, mm-hmm. one and two, for all the amazing work that you're doing. It's it's much needed. Thank Much you. needed. Thank you. And I just say we can't just build the gaps. We got to stand in there with them until we um, until we fix them. So, yep, we're bringing you back. Yep. One hundred percent. Dr. B, you're awesome. Uh, thank thank you, you so much. Uh, just like my co-host said, we really appreciate your time. And, you know, on behalf of all those that you inspire and, and touch, thank you for what you do. Thank you for having this space. 
Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicollet. It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy with creative by Peggy Arnson, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Jondahl. Production services provided by Matriarch Digital Media. Our theme music is by Ryan Ike.